morning, everyone. So we're moving into the heart of the retreat. And I also like the frame that our monastic teacher used to often reflect on is that we have this experience of moving through time when actually things are unfolding within this unmoving awareness. So the retreat has arisen because of causes and conditions that have brought us to this place, intentions, decisions made, planning, and so on. And now it's unfolding according to those causes and conditions. And what remains that's present in the planning, present now, present through the process of the retreat, and as the retreat starts to dissolve, and then we find ourselves back on on the motor on the freeway <laughs> to the next thing. So, but this gives us a chance to take our foot off the accelerator to disengage the clutch. But clearly, the engine is still going. <laughs> But when we're finding out what it's like not to keep putting in gear, and I know I realize in the US one doesn't really put cars in gear that much, so maybe not a very good analogy, but <laughs> get the idea. <laughs> They're just rolls here. <laughs> uh, and to, you know, get the sense of what it's like to unhook from the momentum. And to be patient with the momentum, because, you know, whatever whatever is set into motion from the ways that we are in our everyday life isn't going to magically dissolve overnight. In fact, what starts to happen is that momentum gets illuminated through this awareness. We illuminate it, and then we can reflect on its nature and start to discern more closely what are the mechanisms that generate this engine of samsara, this engine of endlessly moving. Not that moving is a problem, but it's moving with this feeling of it's not enough or there's something else or we need to get to assumption that we make and then we translate that into the meditative work oh I'm sorry Sorry about that. Is that better? I don't know yet, so you can just let me know if there's some kind of rattle going. It's probably my head rattling. <laughs> you can hear my thoughts. 
Yeah, so, um, yeah, seeing this, these mechanisms and realizing that, you know, with a mindfulness, we create a breaker, we create a space, and a space to pause, to unstick. doesn't magically just stop the momentum, but it gives a different relationship. And then within that, there's more agency and then a clarification of what do we decide to move with and and from where, what intentionality. And this becomes more and more important because, as the Buddha said, all arises is preceded by mind, all that comes into manifestation. And at the core of that is intentionality. Yeah, so there's a lot of a, there's a lot of focus on this intentionality, um, because we get to live through the results of whatever is set in motion, and so the, while we can't always do a lot about the collective, although we can, and you know, Buddha is certainly engaged in the collective, we can do something about the internal our interiority and the internal momentum that we set in motion. And that has an impact. Um, So someone was asking, and one of the questions, you know, being very beleaguered by this flood, this momentum of the mind. And I think, again, one has to have a realistic context for the practice. And to where is this, is this teaching that Dawn brought in, which is so central and significant around dukkha. This dukkha is a really good word because it has so many layers of translation that suffering doesn't really capture. But where is the suffering? Where is the dukkha? Is it in the momentum? Or is it in the relationship and what we're doing around the momentum and how it is? Because if we're trying to always not have an unpleasant experience, then that is going to be a battle that we're not going to win. There's a lot we can do to moderate our experience. And a lot of these practices of gathering, focusing, grounding deepening into samadhi, this middle part of the path, calming, steadying, very, very vital, the ground of the meditative work. But we don't always have the conditions to help support that, either internally or externally. So Ajahn Chah said, there's two levels of peace, the peace of samadhi, the peace of this containing, Through in a container like this we have ability to some degree to steady, to calm, to feel that fever lessening. But then there's the peace of wisdom, which when applied to any circumstance doesn't mean to say we expect things to be peaceful or our internal experience to be peaceful necessarily, but wise through wise contemplation, through understanding what is and not getting caught up in the in the dukkha of the moment, that is that is profound. That is a profound shift that we can actually that this practice can bring about. 
So there's, in the suttas, it talks about three kinds of dukkha. There's dukkha dukkha, <laughs> which is just the pain that we, you know, the pain of aging, a painful knee, of getting sick, of things that impact that we can't do much about, actually, that are inherent uh, in the just the nature of the psychology and the body, there's a certain place where we can't iron it all out, get it all perfect, and it's uns- it's unsatisfactory in a certain way until we make peace, really, with how it is and what we can't actually change. Really, it's inherent. Although we can moderate and change a lot, but we can't change aging and death. <laughs> we can't always change. Like Ajahn Chah said, did, you know, I got a cold. Did, did the body ask my permission <laughs> to get sick? No, you know, these things, I mean, we have all sorts of diagnostics, but, you know, this is the nature of the body. It's vulnerable. That's why we're all sitting here wearing masks. Well, I'm not, but wearing masks, you know. It's because vulnerable. It's something we can't even see. The thing called a virus. <laughs> So there's dukkha dukkha that we learn to really work with without creating extra suffering around it. It shouldn't be this way. Well, you know, try and say that on our deathbed. A lot of people do, you know, but we, 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 that's why we prepare for this, you know, this meditation. Jin Chah and people would rock up on the doorstep. You would say, if you come, you know, they say, oh, I've come here for enlightenment. And he said, well, you know, have you come here to die? <laughs> it's learning to die before you die, learning to, to resolve and be, have that agility to know how to release. And then there's dukkha viparinama. This is the dukkha of just a nature, of just this, the feeling of things changing, the loss, the inherent in the conditionality of the world. And even the Buddha experienced this when his two great disciples died. He said it's like two ancient trees falling. You know, that, that, that is a beautiful image of the, this grief. There's something that was there and with you, and then it's, it's gone. And there's, you know, there's, the body's going to feel the loss. But then there's dukkha sankara, and this is the dukkha that the Buddha said we can put an end to. This is the dukkha that arises from the not seeing clearly, the assumptions we make about ourselves and the world, the demands we make of everything and others, the the reactivity of the mind in relationship to how it is. And that doesn't mean to say we shouldn't respond to how it is. Often people hear this and it's like, well, I don't need to do anything. You know, I just let go. And there was a d- disciple like that with Ajahn Chah. You know, the rain came in on, his, on the roof, the, the thatch roof from their hut. It, it sort of fell apart in a windstorm. And he found him sitting in a tiny corner and he didn't fix it, you know, with his little bit of thatch still. And he said, no, what are you doing? He said, no, I'm letting go. And he's like, you know, you're letting go of the wrong thing, you know. You're letting go of like being sensible here, you know. Like you just like go thatch your roof, you know. (laughs) 
So to make sure that we just don't like take one position, I'm just letting go and that's it. You know, there's also picking up. You know, that's a part of the path. And sometimes with the vigor, you know, sometimes in the Dharma it can sound like, you know, we have to be very, you know, there's no challenge and we don't, you know, we have to be really like, you know, so you can become like an enlightened doormat that, you know, people just run over you. Buddha was fierce. You know, he challenged, he challenged people that were ignorant or wrong view or doing things that were harmful. You know, even David Data, the disciple that hijacked his half of his order, a very impressive monk, very charismatic. Everyone started to follow him. You know, very purist in his approach, very attractive in that way. And it split the order. And at a certain point, then, you know, eventually got them because he hadn't purified, hadn't had that wisdom to see the poisons of the mind. He eventually tried to kill the Buddha. This is something you don't do. (laughs) (laughs) It's called a a heavy karma. Some karmas are hard to dissolve, and that would be one of them. So the Buddha said to him, you know, challenged him. He said, I wouldn't even give the order to my beloved just you know very accomplished disciples never mind a lump of spittle like you you know oh the buddha said that yes the buddha said that called called him (laughs) so you know this is this is this is a way of understanding is a balance you know we're finding a balance but to free the mind of dukkha means that we then have a much better chance when we do engage of engaging from a much clearer space than it being distorted through the agenda we might have. It's not really seeing the nature of what's needed. So in the, in the training and in the practice today, there's an encouragement. The Buddha in the Four Truths gives a diagnostic and then gives a, the remedy and the practice. So with dukkha, when it arises, when we contemplate dukkha, it's the remedy is to turn to it rather than, oh no, something wrong, let me change the whole nature of the Dhamma hall and let me just sort of, you know, kind of, I'm not saying things don't need to be changed at these institutions, but, you know, it can be a bit endless. You know, Zajan Chasa with disciples, he would try and like line them all up. He'd get all the feet lined up and then all the heads would be out of sync. So he'd then line all the heads and then all the feet. You know, there's this sort of endlessness of moving the deck chairs around on the, you know, on the Titanic. So I don't know whether, let me just say that, but like, moving the furniture around in the room for it goes, you know, forever and ever, you know, so... Where, where is the dukkha? Is it in the furniture? Is it in the person, you know, snoring or whatever? It's, you know, we can often trace this back to it's what the mind is doing with it. So to turn, we can't do that if we don't turn to it. So this, this samadhi, this gathering we're developing is the strength of mind to withstand. And the Buddha talked about learning to withstand what is unpleasant. So not just like the mind... So there is a training, yes, coming out of that when, when it's overwhelming and resourcing, that's very important. You move the mind away from that when it's too much and go to something more stabilizing, that skill in meditation. But also learning to 
to withstand and for the sake of contemplating and investigating what is happening here what am i creating where's the do- is the where's the dukkha arising from is it in the condition or is it in what i'm doing around this moment because if it's what the mind is doing around this moment propelled by its patterns of like and dislike you know wanting and not wanting as ajahn chah said then we can do something about that we can actually start to release from that engine of dissatisfaction so yes in that way someone asked you know the seeing you know the technique just seeing you can just use like just seeing this is dukkha rather than i'm suffering and it shouldn't be like this like this this is dukkha and some dukkhas have a lot of energy in them because we've been buying into it for a long time. So, but the moment of seeing, I used to go listen to Krishnamurti in the UK, and he would go, when you've seen it once, it's finished. Well, like, that kind of wasn't how it happened for me. <laughs> so for some of us, it's like, we see it again and again and again. And again. But there is something that starts to break the pattern in that seeing. It's not always finished on the first seeing, but you start to shift the relationship. So in our practice today, I really encourage, you know, this not being, as Ajahn Chah say, don't don't let yourself be frightened. You know, pick up courage, take courage by this experience of dukkha. And don't get washed away with it either, caught up. Pausing. This is this. You know, just and just coming down into the somatic level. Otherwise, you know, someone else asking about, you know, a feeling of remorse that won't doesn't shift according to their timeline. You know, but you can. That's a difficult one. You can just go through the story, and that won't end. But you go to the somatic, you know, feel the feeling in the feeling, feeling the dukkha with resourcing the breath and just breathing at that place. And again, letting the awareness touch gently, kindly, the feeling of dukkha. So it can alchemically start to resolve, release, and then we start to move into this territory of feeling the mind released from dukkha. And you can also notice that because often we just feel alive when we're suffering, when we're like caught up and energized in some something not right. So also learning to sometimes there is just there is peacefulness, there is non-suffering, there is the mind just breathing out, and so. Acquiring a taste for peace. You know, people say, we want peace. No, we don't. <laughs> you know, it's boring. You know, it's like, we, we want excitement, you know. So we have to train, you know, training to, that's why a lot of the meditation objects are quite neutral. You know, the breath, or oh, the breath again, you know. Like <laughs> the out-breath, releasing, 
contemplating nature, just seeing this, letting things come to you rather than running out to look at things and fix them. Letting the tree come to you, the grasses, the landscape, the sky, the stars, softening your gaze. This is all around releasing, finding that abiding, resting in the abiding of peacefulness, presence. So today, just exploring this moving and inquiry, moving to touch dukkha with awareness, recognizing what is it to release, soften, let things be for a while, trying to fix everything, letting things be. So let's just practice that for a while. So just finding a comfortable way of sitting for you. And just as we've been doing, just beginning what's present for you, how is it now? So we, we're building the practice on what's presenting and adjusting. You know, do you need a bit more space? You need to bring a bit more energy, some kindness, some relaxing, some bit more strength and focus. So just exploring these subtle adjustments of posture and attitude as we connect with how it is for us now. Again, if it's helpful, maybe taking some of those deepening, moderating breaths, grounding, connecting, slowing down. Just taking this theme, if it's supportive, is to notice this experience of some form of dukkha. It can be strong, just mind, not mind's not just body's just not what I want it to be. <laughs> kind of dukkha, this room, or too hot, too cold, too whatever. Or just something more internal, difficult feeling, difficult memory, unpeaceful. Just so we're just noticing this. This is there's just dukkha here. It's okay. It's being okay. Okay, being okay with not being okay. 
and creating more space. And maybe we notice there's that which isn't suffering, it's just present to how it is. We're just exploring like this. And remembering as we do that, we're still gathering, focusing, being with our breath or our sensation or whatever we're focusing on to steady and calm. We're just not throwing that out. We're just, it's the ground. But we're just opening into this more contemplative, reflective space of noticing more how it is. And if it's helpful, just picking up the theme of letting things be as they are right now. It doesn't mean to say we don't engage and work for the welfare of it all, but releasing from the perpetual need to be in that mode, to just let how you are be, how everyone else is be, how the world is be, and returning to simplicity, to presence. It's releasing, letting be. Giving back what we're trying to change and control, just giving it back to the Dhamma. Something that's very worrying, deeply painful, just offering it up on the altar, letting that be there for now. Can't deal with it now, don't know, haven't got an answer, just put it on the altar the Buddhas, Guan Yin, the awakening power of redemption, of compassion, of resolve, of healing. Letting be.
Just to encourage you to explore this territory today of the, within the teaching frame of the Four Truths, Dukkha and the ending of Dukkha, and to one of the really helpful perspectives that the Buddha gave when working with Sankara, these deep, deep patterns that don't just shift easily and that can bring a lot of painful feeling and um, not easy to manage. They will, you know, things will come up to be seen in our practice as we create the space for these orphans of consciousness to come into the light of awareness so they can be released. You know, the Buddha, in a gathering of his most accomplished disciples, um, he one his opening line of teaching was, "Patient endurance is the highest practice for overcoming obstruction." And so, this some things we just are patiently with, but adding. You know, adding this awareness, moments of knowing, moments of not adding more fuel to that fire, to that pain, doubling down into it, moments of releasing, this quickens the ability for the the process of that sankhara to dissolve. So sometimes not to worry so much if we're suddenly, right, where this is what we're working with. This is then part of our retreat. It's not in the way of the retreat. So whether very peaceful or not, this agility, just being able to move according to conditions and respond. So wishing you a very um, beautiful day. If it's not beautiful, wishing you wisdom (laughs) to contemplate as it is and finding the beauty and the not beauty. It's all good. Thank you.